He's risen. He is risen. Let's begin. Matthew 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus predicts Peter's denial here. And he says to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. You know what, can we turn these lights, these ones above me, please, so everybody can see a little better? Thank you. This night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if we're made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says to him, even, I have to die, even I, if I have to die with you, I will do not deny you. So said all of the disciples. Notice we see here Peter is always the one who speaks up first, and then everybody else kind of says, yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'll die for you, Jesus. Verse 36, and Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here a while. I go and pray over there. Now, mind you, this is kind of in the middle of the night. So what happens next is pretty understandable. And he took with him Peter and two of the sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I love this portion of Scripture. How it shows the humanity of Jesus. As we've said in many occasions, he is all man and all God. Otherwise, if he wasn't, his sacrifice is of known effect. But he shows here as a man, <laughs> knowing as an omniscient God, what is about to take place in the successive hours. But he also shows as a man, if it's possible, can we do this another way? But immediately, instead of staying there, he says, you know what? Not my will, but thine be done. In verse 40, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. That's a warning for us today, to watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Verse 42, again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass for me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Are we earnestly believing for something to the point where we would pray so fervently that we would begin to perspire? 
This is how the Lord is laying hold at this moment. Do we do the same? We say, Lord, I, you haven't answered me. Are we praying this fervently? Matthew 26. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are, we, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us get going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received the detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? Mm -hmm. Knowing all things, he still asked the question, Who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when they heard him say this, when he said this to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The very power of him saying, declaring to them, I am the one you're looking for. I am the Messiah. I am Jesus. The power of that flew. They fell back under the power of the Holy Ghost. Here, just hearing those very words caused them to fall. And he said, you ask him again, who you're seeking. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm not answering that question again. Do you see what just happened? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Let these other guys go. You're not looking for them. You're looking for me. That the saying might be fulfilled which you spoke of those who you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Wait, wait a second. The guy who was coming to put him in shackles and arrest him to take him away to his death, one of his friends lashes out, and cuts off his ear. Jesus says, hold up, we're not here to do that. And he takes it a step further, picks up his ear, puts it back on, and heals it. Hmm. If somebody's coming to revile you and coming to a, attack you, and they may have some broken parts in their lives, are we reaching down to touch and extend the Lord's hand of grace? This isn't just some people that he saw and a beggar or someone who was ill. These are people that were coming to kill him. So I don't think any of us are with excuse to be able to justify the way we feel toward these that, we, that are wronging us. Maybe coming and doing things and cutting behind the scenes or doing things that are not... Uh, helping us. Jesus picks up his ear, heals him. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who, took, who take the sword will perish by the sword. 
Or do you think that I cannot right now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen thus? Come on, Peter. Do you really think that these guys have any power over me whatsoever? Do you really think that at any point in time, if we wanted to escape, that we wouldn't be able to? Do you think that we couldn't call down a 12 legions of angels to deliver us? This is what's supposed to happen. This is what I've been telling you about. When you heard the words before, they were hard for you to hear and to digest. But now you're seeing it play out right in front of you. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out against as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this is done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat within the servants to see the end. You can imagine Peter is hiding in the shadows, and peeking and leering around, longing to be with his friend, yet at the same time withdrawn because he's fearful of what they might do to him. And he encounters someone. Verse 59, now the chief priests and elders in the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward. The people, they, came, they were looking for someone to bear false testimony against Jesus, and the stories that people were contriving and making up were so ridiculous they couldn't even use them. How about this? That's garbage. How about this one? How about this accusation? That's weak. We've got to have something that will stick. But at last, two false witnesses came forward, and here's what they had to say. For more false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. <laughs> the things that they had, these accusations, not only ridiculous, but contradiction of each other. You could just see Caiaphas standing there going, come on, guys. Come on, we rehearsed this. This is not what we said. Then some arose and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest arose and said, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. 
Now you see the irony in this? He's trying to tell, get him to swear under oath by whom? Himself. <laughs> you better swear right now by the living God. I can just imagine CJ going, all right, CJ. Jesus going, all right. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64. Then Jesus said to them, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of any witnesses? Look now, we have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and said, saying, Prophesy! Who is the one who struck you? And many others, they blasphemy, spoke against him. Against him. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. It's coming from the book of John. John never refers him to himself, but he always refers him to himself in the third person. Now that disciple, John, was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, who kept the door and brought Peter in. So John goes in. Peter stays at the door. John, recognizing the fact that Peter wasn't let in, talks to the keeper of the gate or the door, who was a female, and says, let him in. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants girl, servant girls of the high priest came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. He went out on the porch, and the rooster crowed one time. And the servant girl saw him again. And began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. He, but he denied it again. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Does your speech betray you? If you were on a trial, we had a trial here a while back, if you recall. If you were on trial for being a follower of Jesus, would they have enough evidence against you to find you guilty? Does your speech betray you? Do people who know you at work, in your sphere of your life, do they know that you're a follower of Jesus? Peter's, his speech betrayed him. A second time, 
the rooster crows. Peter called to the mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. We know there's a third time to the point where he swore an oath. He cursed and said, I am not a follower of Jesus. Then the rooster crows. We see in Luke 22, it says, So Peter went out and wept bitterly. He realized what he did. Jesus told him, you will deny me. And Peter said, no, I will die for you. And moments later, here he is walking that out. He wept bitterly. Soon it was, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into the council, saying, If you're the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, will you by no means answer me or let me go? So what's the point? Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of power of God. Then they said, Are you then the Son of God? And he said to them, You rightly Say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now we go, they take him to Pilate. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. And it was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled. <laughs> They're too holy to go in there. But they'll let everybody out. They're going to bring them a false accusation against this guy. But that they might eat the Passover. Let's make sure we make, keep ourselves holy as we're bringing false accusation and crucifying Jesus. But make sure you're kept holy so you can eat, partake of the Passover. Luke 23. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. Pilate then went out and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate said, You take him and judge him accordingly to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying, but the death, by the death, he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? Where'd you get this? Pilate responds, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my scriptures would fight. Servants, excuse me, would fight. So that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore says to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come 
into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he said this, he went out against to, again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Interesting question that Pilate asked here. What is truth? He's not seeing this demonstrated before him very clearly. When Pilate heard of, heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. He said, here's my out. I'm sending him to Herod. Who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. For he had desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Now he faces Pilate again. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, they gathered together. Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? So imagine what Pilate is working through here. He's like... The accusations that these guys are bringing are pretty weak. I asked this guy what's going on. He says it's as you say. I don't really find any fault in this guy. It's our tradition that we release a prisoner this time of year. I'll find the most ruthless guy I possibly can, someone they would never want to be let out into society ever again. And, there's, and I'll say, I'll put the two next to each other, and I'll say, go ahead, here's your choice. It's like saying to a kid, here is a bowl of... Aspe uh, not like asparagus. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Here's a, a sorry. Here's a bowl of Brussels sprouts and a bowl of ice cream. Which one do you want? Yeah, I bet you would. <laughs> now, if we sprinkle a little bacon in there, that'd be a little different story. Remember, I said keep that food out of your mind. I'm right, bringing it back. But he gave him the most obvious choice. I mean. Who wouldn't want to release this guy who can't even really bring any true accusation, anything that will stick at least, and this notorious murderer? So he says, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas! Pilate said to him, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified! Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? And at this moment, they couldn't even answer with anything that made any sense. So then they just began to get themselves into a fervor and scream back at him the same thing. 
Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a Talmud was rising, there was violence that was rising. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this person. You see to it. I find no fault in this guy. You want him to be crucified, the most brutal death that you can experience. I'm not going to be held responsible for this. And all the people answered and said, His blood be... This is an amazing statement to me. We just got done, or we're in the middle of, reading in Genesis on Wednesday night Bible study, and we talked about cursed be Canaan. And all the curse that we see for generations going on because of the sin of Ham. And realizing that the things that we do today will impact generations to come. And they willfully say, His blood be on us and our children. Can you imagine? They are cursing their children by this very act. And they don't care. They have such hatred in their hearts toward this man that they're willing to curse their grandchildren in order to get what they want. But do we do the same? We may not so overtly say those things. But are there behaviors, are there things in our lives where we are extending our hand to the outstretched arms of the Lord and are saying, I will continue to hold on to this in my life even if it curses generations to come because I love this more than I love you. Let's just be real. Call it, is what, call it what it is, right? I love this thing more than I love you, Lord. His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, huh, wow. When he had scourged Jesus, five words. Something that we in our society can't even fathom what those words even mean. He delivered him to be crucified. So when Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail to the king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may find that I, that you, let me start again, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate says to him, Behold the man. Now in Pilate's mind, what Jesus has already gone through, certainly, 
certainly has to be enough for these bloodthirsty people. It certainly has to be enough. The mockery, the pain, the suffering he has already gone through. Pilate said to him, you take him and crucify him. Before that, though, therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, and they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! He says, Then you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Jesus answered and said, The Jews answered and said, Excuse me, we have a law, and according to to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard the saying, he was more afraid. He went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, you have, could have no power at all against me unless I have been given it, let it been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you let the man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now, Pilate's concerned about the position that he holds. When Pilate therefore heard this saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, called Gabbatha. Now, if it was the preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. You hear what they just said? We have no king but Caesar. This wasn't just some average guy. This is the priests that are serving the Lord who is the king of kings. Yet they're declaring we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a, Cy a Cyr Cyrenian. And he was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed him. And women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them. <laughs> said, daughters of Jerusalem. This is the first time that Jesus speaks to the people and talks to them and showing concern for them. The first of two times. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which would never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, will be done in the dry. He's warning them of things to come. 
as he's being drugged to be crucified. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Where they crucified him, two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and it was the writing, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write this King of the Jews, but write, He said, I am the King of the Jews. At this point, Pilate's had enough of them and says, What I have written, I've written. With him, there are also crucified two robbers, it says in Matthew or Mark 15. One of them on his right hand, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. This is happening between the hours of nine and noon. Then one of the criminals were hanged and blaspheming him, saying, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, saying, answering, rebuked him, says, Do you not even fear God? See, and you're under the same condemnation. We're indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. For he said to Jesus, Lord, I remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to this criminal hanging next to him, Surely I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> Once again, showing compassion for another individual while hanging on the cross. Do you realize the weight of that? And those who pass by blasphemed, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself! Come down from that cross! Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves what the scribes said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. The self-control demonstrated right here. If you're really who you say you are, come down. Come down from that cross. If you do, I will see you do it, and I will declare my belief in you. You've said you can save others, now save yourself. We've mentioned on many occasions... Had Jesus fallen to that temptation and proven himself right in that moment, the few hundred people that were there witnessing that day would have believed all right. Oh, yes. But he would have not completed the call for which he came. He would have proven himself right, but he would have been so wrong. How many times do we have justification to prove ourselves right? 
And in the end, we are so wrong. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and they also the tunic. Now the tunic was brought, was without seam, woven from the top in one place, and they said, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be? That the scripture, these guys are, <laughs> fulfill, these soldiers, fulfilling scripture, not even knowing it. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now therefore, by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and mother Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, once again, this is in John, speaking of himself, standing by, situation number three, where he's caring for others during his torment, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. He said to his disciple, behold your mother. For that hour, that disciple took her into his home. He was letting John know, I am not going to have the ability to take care of my mother any longer. So I want you to take care of her for me. And John, without even a thought, takes her into his home from that moment on. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, 12 to 3, noon to 3, there was darkness over the land. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, everything that he had come to do, he accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting by there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a live voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up. finished. He did all that he came to do. As we saw in the book with the kids today, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised coming from the graves after his resurrection, and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion, those with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things which had happened, they feared greatly, saying, This truly is the Son of God. And many women followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, were looking on from afar. Among them was Mary Magdalene, the mother of Jesus, James, and Joseph, the mother of Zebedee's sons. 
Therefore, because it was a preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, because we know that the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. Once again, here they are trying to make sure they stay ceremonially clean while crucifying. See the irony in that. Their legs might be broken that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him on either side. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But, none of the so- but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Isaiah 53, which we've already quoted, says, For he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And he who has seen testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that ye might believe, for these things were done, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says that they look upon him who they pierced. Luke 23, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, who had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and they took it down and wrapped him in linen and laid him in the tomb that was hewn out of rock, where no one had ever lain before. That was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women came, had come with him from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. But they returned to prepare spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. One thing I want to point out here. The timing of this. He said it's finished at 3 o'clock. We know from Scripture that they would, we also, this is not only a Sabbath, but also Passover was coming. And we know that they would take the lamb and start to slay the Passover lamb. Guess what time? He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the perfect sacrifice. He says it is finished and becomes the ultimate sacrifice at the exact moment and time of day even that they would begin to slay the Passover lambs. The Passover lamb represents where they would apply the blood over their home, similar to what we did this morning, so that the the death angel would pass over. They would see the blood of Jesus that is over their homes and the death death angel would pass over their homes prior to the children of Israel being released from the bondage of Egypt. This was something that was custom 
for many years prior to Jesus even being born. Yet in this moment, he is completing and fulfilling the old covenant to its fullest. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it down to the minute. It's finished. And the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, how the the deceiver said, After three days I'll rise. Therefore command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and, and steal him away and say to the people, He was risen from the dead, so that the last deception was worse than the first. Pilate says to him, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went, made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Mark 17, 1. Now, when the Sabbath day was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and they became like dead men. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said to themselves, among themselves, who will roll away the stone for the, from the door of the tomb for us? <laughs> Remember that. But when they looked up, they saw the stone had already been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But they said to him, but he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where you laid him. But go tell his disciples, and who? And Peter. This one that had just denied him three times swore an oath. He cursed. I don't know this man. But the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Aren't you glad? For his restorative power. For times that we have denied him. And he says, today, tell my disciples and Carol. Tell my disciples and Don. That he is going before you into Galilee. That you will see him as he said to you. So they went away quickly and they fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That was in Mark. In John 20, we see them say, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter, first place, and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, 
and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon finally gets there, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying, not with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. We know, those who have been here have heard this shared before by Pastor, there was a way that they would fold a cloth in a particular pattern, and they would lay it separately if they were visiting a place. If they would lay, fold it in a certain pattern and lay it, especially in, in this order, and what that would signify is, I am never coming back here again. Jesus folded that linen cloth separately from the others, the thing that covered his face, and said, I am never going by the grave ever again. <laughs> then they, uh, they came to the tomb first, and they went in and saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. This is kind of small. I know some of them have been. Sorry. Now when he arose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. This is Mark's version. Of whom he had cast out seven demons. <laughs> and Mary stood outside the tomb weeping as she wept and stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said, Because they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know that it was him, that it was Jesus. And he, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now mind you, who this person is. Mary Magdalene, the one who it says here in Mark 16, whom had cast out seven demons. This is someone who had relationship with him. This is someone who knew his voice. She, supposed to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And she says to him, Mary. And he says to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. When he said her name, she recognized his voice. He's calling your name today. Jesus said to her, Do not cling for me, for I have yet to ascend to my Father. But I go to my brethren to say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And she came and told the disciples that what she had seen and that she had spoken these things to her. We see here that they were concerned, for time we won't read this one, but they gave the soldiers money so that they would not speak of these things happening. Tell them that the disciples came at night and stole them away, they say. Now, we know this all happened at Passover. After he rises, we see here 
In Acts chapter 1, to whom, speaking of Jesus, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So let's do some math. Crucifixion, erased on which day? Third day, three. Forty days he appears to them. What's three plus forty? Forty-three. Okay, remember that number. Behold, I send in Luke 24, the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. He raises on the third day. He appears on the for 40 days. That's 43 days. Seven days later. Almost as if it was on purpose. Seven being the number of completion, perfection. When the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as fire, and one sat upon another. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He promised them in Luke 24 that the, the Spirit would come. And exactly 50, 40, or seven days from when he left, that promise was being fulfilled. Fifty days from Passover to Pentecost. We saw in Mark 16, 3, when the ladies walked up to the tomb, they said, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Have you ever asked any of these questions? Who can possibly take this away? How can I possibly get through this? Why am I going through this? What did I do to deserve this? Will it ever end. And I have an answer for each one of those questions. And I told you, you hear nothing else. Every challenge that we face, we can look right at it and say yes. Why? Because he is risen. He's risen. You're grateful that he's risen. Why don't you stand with me? I recognize that I was much longer than I normally am today, and for that I, am, I apologize, but I wanted to make sure that we cover, start to finish, what truly is being signified in this time. And there really is no better way, I could not tell it a better way than to show us exactly just what Scripture says. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. and We thank you for the sacrifice that you paid at the cross. Lord, more than your sacrifice, we're grateful that you rose again. And Lord, even still, that you're living and alive today. 
We thank you, Lord, that you're alive and available for us today. When we face a challenge, a stone that we don't feel like would ever be able to be moved, a mountain in front of us, Lord, we can see that you are risen and you are victorious. We thank you for these words today, Lord, to help us to hide them in our heart. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 You're dismissed. Happy Resurrection Sunday.